Welcome to The Mentor List, a source of sound advice with your host, David Lewis. To seek support and you need to allow yourself to be supported. Really have a point of difference. What is precious, what's really important, and then putting some boundaries there. The Mentor List specialises in interviews with top business minds. Gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List. Welcome to today's show. We have a captain of industry on the show today, Mike Smith. Mike was the former CEO of ANZ Banking Group from 2007 to 2015 and remained on as a board advisory until July 2017. He is the chair of York Butter Factory. York Butter Factory is the destination point for innovation in Australia. He also holds the position of senior advisor Asia practice at PwC. And as Mike puts it, these days he's doing the things he wants to do. So not a bad place to be. If you haven't come across Mike's profile before, you're in for a real treat as Mike shares his banking career and insights, which spread across many international banks and on a career that saw him travel and work across the globe. The morning of Mike's first day in a bank in the UK, he said to himself, I'm going to run this place one day. And he certainly delivered on that promise. I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Mike Smith. Mike Smith, welcome to The Mentor List. Okay, well, it's uh, good to be here. Well, yeah, th- thanks for letting us come down and see you um, here at ANZ, or it feels like the top of the town, level 43 here. Um, yeah, it's an amazing uh, location that you're, you're based at. Uh, so thanks mm. for having us in today. Really appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, really excited to sort of start digging into your story and I know it's a big story and so I'm conscious that, um, you know, we've got 20, 40 minutes. Mm. Um, well, maybe we couldn't do two or three chapters. Yeah, well, I'm happy to do that with you, <laughs> are, if you cut the time. Um, so, yeah, we might just kick off. Do you want to share with the listeners a little about yourself? Uh, my career? Um, yeah, I'm, I mean... Uh, when I think back, you know, what are the sort of influences and, and, and what happened to me in the early years? I guess the the most important was that I was sent to boarding school in the UK. Um, I, was, I was raised in uh, uh, Kenya, in East Africa, right. and um, I guess that gave me an independence at at, a, at an early age. Um, from there, I went to university in in, uh, in London. Um, and that was in the um, mid late seventies, because uh, I I do look much younger than yeah. I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, really, the UK economy at that time was in a terrible mess, right. and I really never thought about working so much in the UK as you know to get out and and find right. find somewhere else to go. Um, Originally, I was going to go in the Navy, and, and then uh, um, I think the Royal Navy sold most of its ships um, or, or, or scrapped them, and, yeah. and I really didn't think that that was going to be a career. You know, it was probably something I wanted to do when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and then I decided, okay, the one probably the best way to get out um, into the world was through international banking. Right. So I applied for a number of international banks, um, primarily American and, uh, and of course, HSBC, which was then a Hong Kong bank in those days. Yes. Um, they, they gave me a job offer before anyone else, so I took it. Right, okay. <laughs> and that was the start, yeah. Um, really, I didn't know anything about banking um, other than, you know, when I went 
um, to cocktail parties with my parents in, in uh, East Africa, um, I always thought that the nicest houses we ever went to seemed to be owned by bankers. Right. So I thought it can't be a bad thing to do. <laughs> it must be yeah, absolutely. But uh, um, actually, you know, the first day I walked into the bank, I just knew that it was for me. And that was totally fortuitous. You know, I really didn't know anything about it. And, um, well, despite having an economics degree, um, it, so I knew the, you know, the, yes. how, it, how it worked. But, um, no, the interesting thing was I just felt totally comfortable. I got it, you know, I understood it. And, yeah. and that was very lucky. Um, and uh, from there, you know, I moved, um, I think, about 10 countries that I've lived wow. across, um, lived in. And uh, over a 30-year career, almost 30 years with, with HSBC, um, I covered off on investment banking, retail banking, broking, um, general management, country management, uh, operations strategy. You know, I did most things yeah. in, in the discipline of banking. And, uh, of course, in 2007, I was approached to, to do the job at uh, ANZ. And I was at a stage of my life where I thought, well, unless I make the change, um, now I'm yeah. going to be doing this for another 10 years or so. And who knows where I, yeah. I would have gone with that. But... Um, I really felt it was it was right for, for a change. I'd been to Australia before, you know. I'd been here in the uh, um, in uh, the eighties. Uh, two of my kids were actually born in uh, Melbourne, okay. and so I had an affinity with yeah. with Australia and Melbourne in particular. Um, so I decided, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. And, you know, and ten years later, here, I'm so still here. No, I became a I became an Australian citizen, and yeah. um, you know, this is home. Um, yeah. yeah, very much is very much home, um, and I've I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed my time here. Yeah. You know, apart from the tax. <laughs> <laughs> Death and taxes. Yeah, yeah, but they're higher here than they are in most places. They are. Okay, so I think when we were talking before, we're talking about a helicopter view of the career. I think that's probably a space shuttle view. So we might jump back a little bit. And I mean, so maybe we can go to Argentina and talk about. the reason for the move there and I guess some of your experiences there? Yeah, that was with obviously with HSBC um, and that was in uh, 1997. Um, what, had, what had happened is HSBC purchased a, um, a bank and financial services group yeah. called the uh, Grupo Roberts in, uh, in, in Argentina. Um, it was basically a bank, a general insurance company, a life insurance company, a superannuation uh, business, yeah. and um, a medical um, insurer. So the bank was half the business, and the other businesses were the other half, if you like. Sure. And they were they were um, countrywide. Um, it was the fourth largest. Um, bank in in the uh, in the country, um, and actually, the being a family-owned business, it was run in a very different way than HSBC would run something. 
So uh, my job was to to go in and um, bring it into the HSBC family. Right. Um, and I remember that I reported to the group CEO of HSBC at that time, who was in London. And like all large companies, we had uh, KPIs, which were on a form, you know, about 15, 15 pages thick, you know, with all the yeah. stuff you had to do and you know, whatever. And um, he sent this form to me with two words on it, fix it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've always thought that was a brilliant lesson because he knew what he wanted me to do and I knew exactly what he wanted me to do. Um, and it didn't need, you know, a, a, a massive industry to explain it. Got it. So, a good lesson. Um, keep it simple and, uh, <laughs> and understandable. Yeah. Um, so, that, that worked really well. I mean, we, we uh, you know, I think the first two, three years were, were great. But then the uh, financial crisis of that, uh, that hit Argentina in 2000, 2001, 2002 um, really, really uh, hit the business hard uh, to the extent that, um, I mean, there's some incredible things that happened. Um, the banking system was effectively, um, it, it had its capital effectively stolen by the government, expropriated. And the way they did that was um, at the time the government um, or the Argentine peso was fixed to the US dollar right. as a peg. Yeah. They unpegged it, but at a different rate for assets and liabilities. Okay. So I woke up one morning to find I had no capital, <laughs> um, which is, you know, quite, it's quite an issue. It's quite an issue. Um, it, it created runs on the banks. Um, it, it, it was a oh, it was an appalling Is situation. Is London people in, at the ATMs taking it? Yeah, uh, but it was m much worse than that, and that we you know the the branches were were literally mobbed. I mean, this was all banks yeah. and um, yeah. finding ways to to get cash to people and, and sort it out. Finding liquidity generally uh, was very difficult. Then the government imposed a law that prevented people taking out their own money. Um, to to a limit of something like two hundred dollars a day, okay. and um, you can imagine people's reaction to that. So they blamed the banks, yeah. and literally stormed them. We had to have uh, steel plates um, welded to the outside of wow. the uh, branches. Uh, they, you know, they were attacked. Um, we had a gun battle inside our uh, main office, um, where uh, a crowd of protesters actually. Um, we're trying to burn the building down wow. um, and we managed to evacuate a thousand people um, through oh, there was tear gas going off and I say bullets ricocheting oh around Sounds and two like people an oh well it was it was it was something crazy and you know two people were actually killed wow. um, in in that problem um, but we got all our staff out safely yeah. and, and I was very pleased to do that um, but prior to that, of course, I'd had my own little run-in with um, some corrupt uh, members of the old organization who hired um, a, a bunch of, actually, uh, policemen to get rid of me. Um, so there was a, 
an assassination attempt um, where my car was shot up. Fortunately, I was driving, so I managed to escape. But I did get shot through the, uh, uh, through the leg, through the thigh. Um, but that's quite a long story, and that that will be, and and that needs a couple of beers, and <laughs> um, but it's actually but quite a fascinating Jaguars, I understand. Yeah, well, uh, my Jag, yeah, I had a Jag, and um, it got shot up pretty badly, and kept going uh, without tyres and um, <laughs> with the engine full of um, full of bullet holes, and um, that car kept going. And really saved my life. Yeah, um, I was able to get get away and and uh, avoid these people. Um, and I've owned I've owned a Jag ever since. Yeah, yeah, no, because I'm, I'm loyal. I'm loyal to the brand. How, how do you find them now? That now that Tata's um, sort of taking over, and I I think it's I think it's been a um, you know Jaguar. You know, because I've got some old ones, and they are very temperamental. Right. <laughs> you know, they, sometimes they go, sometimes they don't. But um, when Ford bought the company, um, you know, I think they did a fantastic job on on really, um, you know, getting the thing to proper quality control, and it always always had good styling, I think. Yeah. But the the company now is really allowed to run itself with very little yeah. interference from Tata. And uh, I think they're doing a great job, you know, Fantastic really. models, there's yeah. a new SUV that's come out and just great innovation. Sorry, mm. it's a bit of a... Yeah, yeah, just to... <laughs> so, so we're back to, um, yeah, bullet holes. And so the, <laughs> so the, the assassination attempt, so this was in response to, I guess, a stand that you've, you've taken when you've... Yeah, yeah, it was basically... Yeah, I mean, the I was talking about the superannuation business, and that had a very large marketing budget, right. and the advertising agency and the marketing team had got a little deal going, and there was obviously a um, money being skimmed off, and I couldn't really prove how much, but I knew that something was happening. So, and I wasn't too sure who was involved. So, in the end, I fired everybody, yeah. including the all of the marketing department and the. Uh, um, and the advertising agency, and in good South American um, style, they thought, well, if they removed me as the problem, things would go back to the way they, they were. Get their jobs back. Yeah, you know. Wow. So, and uh, that's a bit naive as well, if you think about it. But oh, um, they hadn't worked with an international company before. Yeah. You know, the standards that that um, entails. Mm. And so that's sort of a pretty instinctive um, um, action that you've taken. Had do you find that that's, would you call yourself an instinctive CEO? Uh, I've become much more instinctive. Um, I think when I first started my career, I was incredibly analytical. Right. And I've learned that um, actually instinct plays a, a very, very critical part. And funnily enough, we spend most of our lives suppressing our instincts. Um, through social norms, through various for various reasons, and I actually think that you should rely on your instinct and your intuition far more than we do. Yeah. Um, it was actually one of the things I learned from um, being you know, from the shooting was um, my security people said, "Look." If you have an instinct to 
that you, that you're in danger, act on it. Yeah. Act on it, and that way you you will um, you'll probably be okay. Don't do what the social norm is. Be polite, whatever. Just do something. And it did save my life later in India when when I was in the Taj Hotel, which was attacked, and I had a feeling something wasn't right. And I left the the hotel um, with my country manager um, to to go to the airport early, uh, four minutes before the wow. before the attack, and we were in the car when I got a call from the Australian ambassador to say or Australian High Commissioner in in India to say you know where are you because I was going to see him anyway yeah. and he said I don't know if you've heard but the Central Bombay is under attack, and um, you know, keep go to the airport now and get out of here. Wow. <laughs> and so you so, just had a feeling. You, you sort of. I just had an instinct. I said something's not right. You know, let's go. And it was that sense. Yeah. And I acted on it. Yeah. yeah wow. So you know, as as another life gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another podcast, I think, as well. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, well, okay. So I guess that's a really good example of, you know, taking a stand because that had a, a huge impact around, you know, your family life as well. And um... Yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, when you, when you have a, a near-death experience in whatever way, it, it does make you reconsider your priorities and, and, your, uh, and the way that you live. Um, and I would say that I'm a better person for, you know, for that experience. I think before that I was far too, I was far too ruthless. I was far too blindly ambitious, mm. um, and I was, uh, I was, I was like a blunt instrument. I think, yeah. and um, I left collateral damage everywhere. Right. Um, after that, I thought, you know, there. There are different ways of achieving things, and you can bring people along, and that's much more effective yep. than taking them on. Yes. Oh, yeah, I bet. Um, so, well, it is actually, and it gives you a much less stressful life. Yeah. Um, now, I know, you know, you could say that it's not necessary to be liked, and in certain roles, it's difficult to be liked, but um, I think if you do the right thing, by the organization and, and most people, um, people will respect you for that. Mm. And, and, and the one thing I've always thought about, you know, what, what people have asked, how would you, you know, how would you like to be, you know, how would you like to be seen as a manager? And, and, what, it, and what advice would you give on how to manage? I, I've always said, manage other people as you would like to be managed yourself. Because you can't go wrong then, can you? Yeah, true. You know. Yeah. Um, but it's amazing how few people do that. Yeah. And it's, a, <laughs> and it's, a, it's a simple message as well. A very simple message, yeah. And I, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a valid one. Um, but there is no doubt that as you go through life, you... And I, I guess it, it's this concept of wisdom. Wisdom comes with experience, and 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 I think that as you as as you experience more, your decision making becomes better, right? Because it becomes defined by what you know. Yeah. 
And I've always said, you know, I've, I've never actually had any regrets, you know, because when you make the wrong decision, you learn from that too. And the next decision you come to, you, you take that bit of experience and, and learn from it as well. So I think, I think it's very important that when you look back at your life, you should, you know, of course you could have done things better. Of course you could have done things um, differently. And hindsight is marvelous, but you know, unfortunately we, you know, we don't have that. Yeah. But you can learn from what you've done, good and bad. And that makes you a better person going forward and a better leader, I think. Yeah, and you can, well, sounds, from the sounds of it, you can't lose. So, I mean, you, you'd welcome a, um, almost a wrong decision so you can, you can learn from it and and. and yeah, and I think you have to be honest with yourself as well. Yeah. Um, hubris is a problem. Um, you know, I've seen so many CEOs who've got egos which are out of control. Um, you really do have to try and keep your feet planted on the ground and and people around you. I mean, I, I was very lucky um, with um, my wife is is somebody who is very grounded, right. and and she is very quick to bring me back to earth <laughs> if there are any signs of uh, of straying. <laughs> yes. it's, it's a great wife quality of. Well, you know, it's a partnership, it and is. and it's it, it's a valuable one, and you do need people to bounce things off and to and to help you, and. Certainly, in the early part of my career, I didn't feel I needed anybody. You know, I was. I, I tried not. I, I, I guess I was arrogant. You know, and and a few people would have described me as arrogant. I didn't mean to be. Yeah. But I probably came across as. Yeah. Um, You're on your mission. Oh, I was on a mission. I sure, sure was. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have to say, you know, the first, as I say, first day I walked into the bank, I loved it, whatever, and my ambition then was to run it. Right. Because uh, yeah, I thought, well, if, you, if, you, if it's, you know, if it's good business and I like it, oh, but why not run it? <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, not a bad aspiration for your first day. No, but, you know, and I think it's important that you do have ambition. I think ambition is sometimes seen as a bad word. I don't think it is. I think it's a very good word. Um, it's good to be ambitious and have a plan yeah. and have a vision. Now, it may change, you know, but you've got to set yourself um, some sort of, uh, of opportunity, some sort of goal yeah. to achieve. And that aspirational goal, um, if you can keep that as your umbrella, is, is a great one, you know, and it, and it can help you enormously. I guess how... How do you balance that with, so I mean, you've, you've got goals in, so for example, yeah. when you're running the ANZ Bank, I mean, that must be in a demanding role. So you've probably got, obviously got goals in that and you'd have personal goals. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, like anything, you have to compromise somewhere along the lines. But in, in, in terms of your career, if you think about it, most careers are going to last many, many years. And in that time, the balance between personal and business things will adjust. Yeah. Now, one of the problems is that at a time when you're really um, trying to make your mark, you know, early 30s, um, yeah. that's going to be an incredibly important time in your, um, in your work 
in your in your career. Yeah, it's also generally a pretty critical time in your yes. personal life with you know with family etc etc yeah. yeah and so that is the hardest time that's the hardest time to actually um, balance right. balance that piece and I have no magic answer for that I mean I was very much weighed down by the career piece yeah. to the um, detriment of my family um, yet I think I swum back very much, yeah. Um, and I was lucky that that I had a um, my you know my wife was able to compensate for that. Yeah, didn't necessarily like it or want it, you know. Yeah. But um, again, I think that's when you need that that partnership to work. Oh, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's not an easy one, you know. And let's face it: if you're going to be a CEO of a major corporate, you know, a major, you know, a, a company with you know with a market cap of 100 billion or whatever, life balance is quite difficult because you're at it, you know, 24-7. Yeah, everybody wants to ask you a question. Uh, well, and you, you are on duty all the yeah. time. You're, you're always on parade. Yeah. No matter where you are, you know, holiday is not something you think about. Yeah. What's a, yeah, just because you mentioned it, I mean, you know, you're nine years at ANZ. Did you actually get time to sit on a beach or was it like, well, what happens when you're at the top? What 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 you do is work out where you're where you can get what I what I call downtime and thinking time. And I used to actually like um, flights to just think and do yeah. and not not you know think about what you, you you do day to day, but really think about what's happening in the world. You know what what are the you know, what are the you know what what are what are the new issues out there, where is technology going, where are politics going, you know, where is the, um, the, the whole environment, the, the model of the economy, you know, where is all this changing? And actually on, on holiday, what I would do was go to Europe um, to actually, uh, we bought a place in France many years ago as a, as a lifestyle thing that uh, I, because we moved around so much. The kids thought of that as home. Yeah. And why it worked for me so well there was the time difference was, oh, was so okay. good because I'd have all my emails when I woke up in the morning yeah. and I'd spend a couple of hours just doing them all, making a call and whatever. Yeah. Family weren't up yet. Right. They get up and, and that's the whole day yes. and everybody here has gone to bed. Fantastic. And so that really worked well. But you've got to try and do that sort of thing, you know, plan that. Um, th that you can get proper downtime um, and, and quality rest time because you know frankly you need it yeah. you, you do need to recharge there's uh, anybody who thinks you can just keep on going you know is uh, it's not right yeah oh, absolutely um, and yeah I guess that you never sort of see the, the sacrifice I mean you, you see the CEO of, of, of one of the biggest companies here in Australia, but you don't really necessarily get to appreciate, you know, the Oh, no, and the, and the sheer amount of work and, you know, and yeah. the fact that you're waking up in the morning, the first thing you're doing is looking at your positions and, and, and you know, where currencies have gone and where, how it's moved and, and you know. Right. <laughs> uh, when you, you know, you think about it, if you've got a close to a trillion dollar um, balance sheet, that's an awful lot of money to, yeah. to be managing, and it's other people's money. Yeah. Um, 
then you know, okay, a good part of that is shareholders as well. You know, well, you know, there's a, there's a fair amount of shareholders funds in there as well. So you've got massive responsibilities to say nothing of fifty thousand staff, you know, and, and whatever. But your your customers, um, be it eight nine million of them, are going to um, expect you to, and and quite rightly expect you to look after their interests. As are your half million shareholders, etc. So, again, if you can try and make sure that all those interests are are um, are considered in a in the same way, you're going to be more successful. Yeah. Um, because if you run a business purely for shareholders, or if you run a business purely for staff, or purely for customers, somebody's going to get upset. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. So that was so. the first thing in the morning. How are we mm. going? Gosh. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, so my next question was just, did you get any advice as you were coming through your career or is there some advice you wish you got um, throughout your career that you could share with the listeners? Look, I, I think you, most people have role models um, or people that they admire, that they see working. And I would say you have good and bad role models. I mean, you know, bad role models are very useful and you can see what which is not effective, which doesn't work, which, yeah. you know, which pisses people off and, and whatever. Um, that, so that's important to, under, you know, to learn from that aspect as well. Yeah. But good role models, yeah. I mean, I, I was lucky in, in HSBC to have some seriously capable um, managers and bankers, you know, really, really good people. And you would, yeah, you, you'd, you'd emulate what they did. Yeah. Um, it was quite an aggressive style in HSBC. It was, it was a sort of no prisoners type approach. But it was always done for the good of the company. It wasn't about yourself. It was what was the right decision to make for the company. Yeah. Quite selfless. And I admired that and I liked it. And, and, as a result, the value system of, of that company was extremely strong, and and, um, and that was something that was always been very important to me. I think you've got to do the right thing. Now you can say that values are different in, in you know many cultures, many countries, many uh, types of business, but fundamental decency is pretty important yep. to be doing the right thing. Hmm. Uh, just, so just the next question, was there a habit besides checking the balance sheet each morning, <laughs> which I'm sure you wouldn't, well, you might recommend, but <laughs> is there habits that you think have helped um, your, your career and, you know, being the CEO of, of, of um, you know, 29 years in HSBC yeah. and, and then nine years here in ANZ, I mean, you're obviously doing something different to... Um, people that are in banking, and so what, are, what yeah. habits do you think? Well, I, I guess the habit that I had was that I, I insisted every single day that I would always meet a customer, um, a staff member who didn't report to me, and a, um, what I would call a, um, a mover, somebody of influence, uh, um, and that could be a major shareholder, it could be a politician, it could be a, um, a, a media commentator or, or whatever. But if you, 
it doesn't sound like much one one this a day, every day. But this is every day. Every day, one of each of those three, or all of them. All wow. Yeah. Okay. This, this is a lot. Uh, yeah. Okay. Every day. Now, sometimes I would meet dozens of right. you know, depending on on what I was attending or doing, but. I feel it is incredibly important to keep touch with, with your organization. And that is the way of doing it. Yeah. So for a customer, of course, it's important to, to speak to mom and dad and, uh, and, the, and the corner store as it is to the CEO of Telstra or whatever. Um, it is also important um, to understand in your, in your own Business and I used to have round tables um, once a week with junior staff just to understand how they thought the business was going, and they could ask me questions about you know what I was what I thought because as a CEO the the big problem is that you are often told what people think you want to hear. Yeah, right. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So you have to find a way of getting a different feedback. Yeah. And it's amazing what you do learn and what you can pick up and, 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 and change. So, look, I, I think touching the organization in any way you can is critical to success. Yeah. That requires huge personal involvement and time. And you have to you have to be prepared to do that. Yes. Oh well, yeah, I, I can imagine yeah. three or three meetings a day, and I mean, just <clears throat> so much demand on your time. Yeah, there's thousand other things going on, but it is it is critically important. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. The other question was just around if you had a quote that you've uh, hung on to that you'd like to share with the listeners, one one of your own or someone else's. <laughs> a quote. Right. Um, well, I think Abraham Lincoln's, you know, you can't please all the people all of the time. It's a fantastic yeah. one, but you can, so, you, know, you can please some of the people some of the time. You can't boil the ocean. Yeah. And, and I think um, as you get more senior, it's very hard um, to actually please everybody. And you have to accept that not everybody's going to be happy. Yeah. Um, when you're young idealistic and starting out, you do want to please all the people all the time. And yeah. you suddenly realize that it comes to the stage, you just can't, yes. you just can't. And that takes a lot of um, self-confidence um, and belief in yourself to be able to do that, to, to, to know that that, that plate, it's, it, it's like spinning plates. You've got to allow a few to possibly fall off at times. Yeah. And you have to really work on on the ones that need to be spinning, and and uh, um, and then then you you move on. the The other quote I love is is uh, a bit unusual, which is uh, from Mike Tyson. Right, right. Who, when he was asked, you know, did he have a str strategy for his fight, he'd, he'd say, "Everybody has a strategy until they're punched in the face." You know? <laughs> and and uh, I think that's a great one because no matter what your strategy is, something will happen yeah. that will knock it off. And, and what do you do about that? How do you adjust? How do you, you know, what, what, what's your plan B, your plan C, your plan D? And th that concept of 
contingency is so important. Mm. Um, you've also got to be, I mean, I, I mean, my own quote is that, if you like, or it's not really a quote, but so much as a statement, is that the more senior you are in an organization, the more you have to look at the big picture, but you have to understand that the big picture doesn't have a frame. Right. So you are managing ambiguity all the time. Right. Now, a lot of people hate managing ambiguity. That's they the love to be in their slot, in a yeah. box, and know what they're doing and whatever. And the, the, the more, yeah, but the more senior you get, the less you can do that. I guess, you know, the other thing that, the thing that I always look for in, in senior management was the ability to be visionary or to think strategically, but still act tactically. Right. It's quite rare. Yeah. Quite rare. It's not, not an easy thing to, uh, to find people who've got that ability. You can get plenty of people who do the execution well. And plenty of people who are great at the vision and the strategy, but actually finding people who can do both, yeah. quite hard. Yeah. And I think that that's, you can train yourself to do that, um, I think, but um, it's easier to be a visionary and learn how to do the execution than it is to be an executioner and learn the vision, I would say. Uh, thank you for sharing again. Uh, you, you've just sparked my interest with the, the punch in the face. <laughs> See, and it just it makes me think to ask about the GFC and um, yeah. you know some of the great crises that you've managed. To, um, I think I've done f seven, seven. <laughs> something like that, seven financial crises, yeah, of which the Argentine one was the worst um, because it was so dramatic. Right. And and the impact on everyday life was huge. In terms of, of the global um, downturn of the GFC, of course, that was probably the, the most major that we've seen in recent history in terms of its, its broad reach, which we're still going through the, the effects. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned seven <laughs> in title in your career, and so it sort of makes mm. you think that it's well, it's, it's almost a natural thing for it to occur. Well, it is, you know, and, and particularly in banking where, where you never learn from your mistakes. Actually, it's the same in all industries, you know. It's amazing how the, how the you know, the same story you read in history. Yeah. We don't learn enough from history. Yeah. Um, it will be one of the, you know, one of the things I'm always amazed at. I mean, you look at the politics now in Europe and you think, does nobody remember what happened, you know, just uh, 70 years ago? And it, it, is, it is frightening that people do forget, don't learn from history, and make the same mistakes. Um, well, it's good if you're an accountant or a lawyer, I suppose, because, you know, there's always work. Well, but, uh, well <laughs> 
Yes, some of our other interviewees are saying that they're they're up for grabs. They'll be outsourced and automated, and well, they're in the process of it. And um, so, yeah, maybe nobody's. Well, you know, we we we're in the the next um, revolution. There's no doubt about it, and this is the technical revolution, which will, which is as significant as the industrial revolution. Um, we we are looking at um, an old economy and a new economy, and the models and process that drove the old economy is just not going to work in the new one. Mm. Now, we're still probably going to make cars, but we'll make cars differently. Yeah. And it won't be here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it's, um, it's really understanding, okay, what, what is important for the future? You know, what's going to create jobs for our kids? And I wish the politicians got hold of this, you know, because um, they they don't seem to, you know, they're, they're involved in the populist short-termism of the day, um, which means vision is by you know something next Thursday, you know, which is just hopeless. Um, but we have to we have to adjust because Australia can't put its head in the sand and say, well, we don't need to change, and the rest of the world will pass us by. Yep. You know? So it's a, it's a huge issue. And yeah, you, know, you, you can compare it to the Industrial Revolution. I mean, if, if you approached a farmer in the Industrial Revolution and said, look, I've just invented a steam machine that does the job of 20 horses, um, and the guy would say, well, I've got one horse and that does perfectly well for me because he's just going to do the same thing. Well, you've got to think, how do you use that 20 horses? How do you, how do you get the increase yeah. in productivity? Yeah. How do you change the way you do things? And, uh, and it's just the sort of same thing. Mm. You think eight years ago, there wasn't an iPhone yeah. in, in, uh, right. in Australia. Um, yeah, that's a scary thought. It's, it's staggering, really, isn't it? You know, and you know, think about sort of six years before that. That was the introduction of the BlackBerry. You know, think how that changed life. That's gone. Yeah. You know? And and you know, this this is a, a another world. Oh, there'll be a few BlackBerry users out there who hang on to them. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's amazing, really. Very quick. Yeah. Oh. And it will continue, you know, this is, this is just, we haven't even started yet. And, and so what's, what's life like for you now, now that you're no longer... Man of leisure. Well, yeah, are you a man of leisure? Do you get to relax now? Um, Look, I'm, um, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I can do now what I want to do. Um, I have not um, joined any public company boards uh, very deliberately. Um, and the reason for that is that the corporate governance um, system in, in this country has now got out of hand, I think, right. to the extent that um, you know, board meetings can, can be 95% process um, compliance uh, procedure and 5% business. Right. Um, Do you think that's why we're seeing more of these advisory board um, structures. Well, I think it's sensible. I mean, what what entrepreneur or business person is going to join a board? I mean, they don't want to do that stuff. Yeah. So, so what does it 
you know, what type of person is attracted to a board? Well, it's people who've got a legal background or an accounting background who are used to dealing with that stuff. But that makes boards very risk averse. Yeah. Um, because you don't have that entrepreneurial flair. You don't have that uh, ability, you know, that need to take risk. And that's a, that's a problem for public companies. So that's one of the things that I have avoided. What I have got involved in is in the startup industry. Um, you know, I'm chairman of your butter factory, and and that's um, that's great fun. Um, not only is it joint space uh, provider, but also you know, an, an incubator. And the great thing about it is is that it's um, it has a model that is developed with corporates. So oh, okay. there's, there are corporate um, partnerships, effectively. So if a company um, like ANZ wants to do some innovative type of, um, yeah. they need a problem solving, they can give it um, to IBF, who can find the right company out there, the right way of dealing with it, that yeah. can work with their own with ANZ's innovation people and come up with something quite different because if you try and innovate within a corporate culture, yeah. um, it won't it won't really work very very easily. They tried. Well, corporate cultures tend to protect themselves, mm -hmm. and you know it's like any maverick in a in a corporate. Um, you know, within within the say the executive body, will have their edges clipped off, and right. uh, and um, uh, corporate culture is very strong at uh, at keeping self preservation. Now we're in a world where that ain't going to be enough. Yeah. So um, yeah, so that's one thing I'm doing. I'm I'm still working as an advisor with uh, PwC, which I enjoy. Um, and I'm involved with a couple of other smaller companies, which um, you know, just I'm giving them a hand. Yeah. Um, and I and I actually really enjoy it. So I'm doing what I want to do. Yeah. Which nice. is a lovely place to be. It's the, and it's the first time in my life <laughs> that I that I'm in that place. And and I'm oh, well, I'm growing wine. You know, which I growing wine. The, yeah, Fantastic. yeah. So uh, I've always when enjoyed that. When can we get the first bottle? Well, we should have brought one along, yeah. actually. <laughs> then the interview will get better and better. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm glad you wanted to do the uh, podcast today and uh, we could fit into your, uh, well, is it a leisurely sh schedule or are you still? Um... No, no, I, I actually um, find I'm still working quite hard. But if I suddenly want to think, you know, the sun comes out and I want to go and spend a couple of days down at the farm, I can. Great. Yeah. And, you know, the great thing about, about what I am doing now is that you're always connected and and with broadband um, or you know basically any any decent wireless um, service um, you know you're you're in contact and you, you really doesn't really matter where you are yeah. and for those face-to-face -face meetings well you can organize those in a week or whatever it is yeah. you know um, and it's still important Relationship is so important in, in any type of business. Yeah. Um, things don't happen overnight. You know, you, you can't have lunch with somebody and say, "Well, uh, you know, that's uh, I've got a good relationship with someone." You know, you've got to work yeah. it. And um, 
so that's still important. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, thank, thank you for for um for sharing that. Just just a last question before we we let you go. Um, just just a book. If there's a book that you've um you've read <laughs> that you recommend or that you're reading, that you'd share with the listeners. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I, I read I read a lot actually, and uh, you know I have a favourite book of the moment. And um, actually, a colleague of me of mine gave me a, a, a book called Medi- Meditations by uh, Marcus Aurelius, which is really extraordinary actually. And he wrote it more as a diary of observations. Um, and as a Roman emperor, I mean, um, it's interesting that he wrote it in Greek. Um, Maybe that was for um, keep it private or something, but it, but fascinating. And what he writes is extraordinary comments on um, common sense. Right. You know the guy's common sense, and you know when you think about some of the great authors in history, and you look back to um, someone like William Shakespeare or whatever, some of his observations of life are absolutely as relevant now as they were then, you yeah. know, which is so extraordinary, really. That is. Um, and for somebody so young to have been able to get those gems of wisdom um, is, is quite remarkable. I like, um, I like, I just re- uh, read a book um, uh, written by Winston Churchill, which I, I hadn't, read any of his stuff for a long time and again his way with words the way that he uses words absolutely amazing yeah. you know, extraordinary talent oh he's done lots of books um every time he ran out of money he'd write a book <laughs> and publish publish it and it and it would make he made a lot of money yeah. from from uh, <laughs> From his, uh, did you remember the name of that that specific Winston Churchill book? Or? Well, it's actually one of the um, one of the uh, he, he did a, a history of the Second World War, and it was the first volume of that. So yeah. I think there are six volumes. So I've got to get through the others at some stage. You've but, got time now. <laughs> yeah, potentially. Yeah, Hope, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, and I think I think with books. The same with magazines. You've got to have something that um, interests you at the time. You know, I might read a novel at the same time I'm reading a historical um, book. Or, or I'm not big on management books. I find them yeah. a bit boring um, because you you often wonder. Well, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, but I think I, there's nothing quite like doing it yeah. Yeah. And, and learning as you go along. Um, but I know some people really enjoy learning, um, and, and that's good. I mean, to have an open mind is incredibly important. And if there is, a, I, I think, a key attribute that any executive should have, it's curiosity. You know, it is so important that people are interested to, to think beyond what they do day to day. Yeah. And it's sort of it's in line with what you're talking about about the big thinking about um, you know not this self-preservation but being curious and innovative. Yeah. Well, what are the better ways of doing it? I mean, this is why I love other cultures. You know, when you you look at the work, 
that the way other cultures do things and and their value systems. You, you think, well, why is that? And what makes us right and them wrong, or what makes them right and um, why don't we do a bit more of that? And and these are the things that you you can really learn from, yeah. uh, which is important. And the same way of running a, a company, you know, there are different ways of running things. There's no right or wrong way. There are just different ways. Yeah. And what suits you? You know, a, a startup, a small business where you know everybody requires a very different um, structure to a multinational um, company. Um, but fundamentally, um, you're there to to make the company successful. I also believe that you should always be there to enjoy it. Right. If you enjoy what you do, you're gonna be better at it than somebody who doesn't. Absolutely, yeah. So if you're, in a, if you're in a job that you don't enjoy, try something else. Right. That would be my advice. Yeah. Because otherwise you end up frustrated, you're, 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 you, you, know, you become cynical, you can become bitter, um, and then you become less effective. So, so Mike, thanks, thanks for your time today, and thanks for uh, letting us into your lovely office here in Melbourne. Um, so just before we sign off, and people are listening, and they, they, want, they want to reach out and say, heard you on the show, or um, ask you a question or something, how, how would somebody contact you? Uh, probably the best way is through LinkedIn. Through LinkedIn, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, um, yeah, that's probably the easiest, easiest approach. Fantastic. But well, yeah. uh, no, I've enjoyed it, and hopefully, it's uh, you know, the, there's a few pearls of wisdom. Oh, <laughs> I don't my, my pen's almost out of ink. So <laughs> anyway, appreciate appreciate you making the time, and um, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. That's no, great, great to be here. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to The Mentor List with your host, David Lewis. If you like what you're hearing on The Mentor List, the best way to support the show is to just take a few seconds to leave a rating and or comment over on iTunes. You can also find further information about this show and links to further episodes at mentorlist.com.au. Until next time, this is The Mentor List.